let's proceed and find out how true that statement is. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Uncommon Sense. This is a podcast where we talk about pretty much whatever we want, but it tends to skew politics and history. And we hope that after you listen, you walk away with some sense of the uncommon variety. My name is Aime, and I, um, again, don't have a statement prepared about myself today. I have a a broken kneecap on a biking trail when I was 13. So you broke your kneecap on a biking trail when you were 13. Yeah. Got it. Uh, My name is Jerry, and I threw a package out an elderly woman. Oh, I hope you did. Um, And I hope she deserved it. Well, we're going to find out. So at the end of the episode, we're going to spill all the tea and reveal it for telling the truth or dirty filthy liars and you'll just have to listen yeah. to the whole episode uh, don't don't skip ahead we'll know it's illegal we're and we'll watching. find you but yeah we're always watching okay well today we're um, uh richard have we said richard Lisa? I, I, uh, especially tom. you isa tom francis all right let's move on um <laughs> Today we're in a pretty wintry mood, and we were discussing very frantically what we were going to cover this this particular episode. Um, there's Gary, a lot that happens in the winter. There's a lot that happens in the winter, and in particular, what we so we didn't record last week uh, just because reasons, and the news cycle has been pretty quick recently. So some of the stuff we talk about for the current events segment might be a little bit outdated, but we just brought up the subject of winter when we were deciding what to talk about, and I feel like it would be uh, it would behoove us to at least mention what's been going on in Texas. I know it's kind of old news at this point, but it's um, definitely one of the more talked about uh, headlines. So, um, as I was telling Jerry before we started, basically the summary of the situation is probably everybody knows by now. Texas has a very outdated infrastructure that can't handle extreme weather conditions. Um, there's a cold snap that hasn't that we have anything the likes of since the 1970s literally hell is freezing over uh people have been like posting like their apartments flooding their staircases flooding their pipes bursting their ceilings falling in and uh texas is in a, in a state of panic and crisis right now i don't know why i'm not laughing at the fact that texas is in a state of panic and crisis but for some reason the comparison of texas to hell just sort of <laughs> made me chuckle a little bit well isn't it just doesn't it feel right um, I, I suppose. What elevates the um, the drama of the situation further is that the very famous and much despised senatorial representative, Mr. Ted Cruz himself, fled the scene. Uh, not that he lives in Texas, of course, while he's wa- wa- working in Washington, D.C., but he's a native Texan, and he literally went on vacation to Cancun with his family, and he left his dog at his house, which is another layer to the drama. And um, he was so... So um, harshly shamed in the eyes of the public for leaving the United States while his constituents were undergoing such a horrible crisis that he subsequently flew back, like, within a 48-hour period. Um, and it's just very bad optics, of course, for yeah. for him and for the Republican Party. Um, but like I said, that's all pretty much old news. More recently, um, CPAC has occurred annual conservative conference that usually takes place in Washington, D.C., but uh, this year it's taking place in Florida. 
Um, Donald Trump at that convention just gave his speech yesterday, and I think one of the, the key talking points is that he suggested he may run again in 2024, and um, that he is not interested in starting a new party in the name of, like, a, I don't know, Jerry, if you heard this, but there was a lot of talking circulating about potentially Donald Trump spearheading the splintering of the Republican Party into a new party called the Patriot Party. And I mean, a lot of people like Republicans otherwise were down for that, because if that were to happen and for Trump to lead an, an independent party, of course, they would never win another election. So everybody was like, yeah, do it. But Donald Trump kind of came on to that. And at the speech, he said that he's he's not going to start a new party and that he doesn't need to because we have the Republican Party. But this is interesting. I heard that um, something akin to an exit poll suggested that only 55% of CPAC attendees would support Donald Trump's nomination for president in 2024, which is a little bit more than half, but it actually kind of poorly reflects the Republican Party's like approval rating in general, which has consistently been like 98% in favor of Donald Trump. Um, I think it plummeted like 20 points after January 6th. I don't know if it's gone up again since, but um, it's been a very turbulent, uh, you know, statistical um, adjustment mm -hmm. recently. So... Yeah. Uh, when was... There was like once in, like, relatively recent history in, like, American election that, like, there was a popular third party, right? Like, legitimately running. Was it FDR? Is that a thing? Mm, FDR ran as a Democrat. I mean, you might be thinking of the Progressive Party. That was before FDR in the early, early 1900s when Teddy Roosevelt had run on the Progressive Party ticket against William Howard Taft. That's right. He ended up splitting... Splitting the uh, the Republican vote and Democrat Woodrow Wilson had won. Oh, uh, speaking of Woodrow Wilson, he's actually, he was trending on Twitter a few days ago. And I was like, why are people talking about Woodrow Wilson? That seemed very random. Um, and it was because somebody, I don't know if it was at CPAC, like some official Republican person had said something to the effect of... Um, Joe Biden, like literally, they said this unironically, Joe Biden is more progressive even than Woodrow Wilson. And Jerry, I know that you're not the biggest history person, so I think you, you, you wouldn't process the weight of that statement. But just so that you know, Woodrow Wilson was one of the most um, ostentatiously racist presidents in the 20th century purview of American presidents. Um, he screamed, bir screamed birth of a nation at the white house, which is an, an extremely racist movie, which I think America had the optics, even in the 1910s to know how racist that movie was. Uh, not that, not that cinema was very prolific at that point because it was the early onset of like movies, but, um, yeah, it was like I, I think it, people went nuts. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Yes, <laughs> something like that. We can cover the, the history of how film became a thing, but um, I think it. I think it's reasonable to state that Woodrow Wilson knew what the optics were when he screened that movie in the White House. Um, he pushed for legislation that would hurt the African American community, broadly speaking. Just being vague here, but yes, so he was racist. So when when that Republican official said that about Joe Biden, like, oh, Joe Biden is more progressive, even more progressive than Woodrow Wilson. Um, 
it's so stupid on so many levels, but everybody on Twitter was like, I, I, I sure hope he is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if like, he wasn't, there might be issues. That might be a problem. Um, you could do so, nothing to be more progressive than Woodrow's. It's silly on so many levels anyway, because the, the Democratic, I mean, I assume that they would have said that uh, because Woodrow Wilson representing the Democratic Party was one of, like, one of the things he was more famous for was trying to uh, put together what back then was analogous to the United Nations. I think it was called the League of Nations. And he didn't, like... This was after World War One, and he was a pacifistic person, generally speaking. So he wanted to make sure that like nothing like the World War One would ever happen again. <laughs> Failed, but like he tried to put together an international organization specifically purposed to like keep the peace so that it wouldn't happen again. Um, and like I said, he didn't exactly found it, but he advocated for it very strongly, and it was called the League of Nations. And then like the American uh, political body was so divided at that point that americans like congress just couldn't agree on it so they never signed the treaty that set up the league of nations so like america technically never joined it anyway it was a big mess woodrow wilson i, I don't know america fucking... threw a party invited everybody and then didn't show up something like this that's kind of kind of yeah um uh. Woodrow Wilson, like, advocated so aggressively for this and, like, just gave his speeches with, ugh, such vigor and such energy that he actually fucking, like, keeled over. His wife started having to be president, basically. So, there's a little recap on Woodrow Wilson for you. Uh, yes, Joe Biden is more progressive than Woodrow Wilson. He might not be progressive enough for a lot of the left in this modern era, but yes, he is more progressive than Woodrow Wilson, and we should be happy about that. <laughs> So anyway, um, what the hell was I talking about before I started talking about Woodrow Wilson? Uh, I think we were talking. Listen, I don't know. Texas is frozen. CPAC happened. Donald Trump is not going to start a second party. I was going to say, since I'm mishmashing all of these current events together, uh, like I mentioned to you, Sir Jerry, Mitch McConnell, the, um, the infamous Mitch McConnell recently in the past few days released a statement saying, well, not released a statement, but was asked in um, some kind of like interview spot in a news network. It might've been Fox. I don't know. Um, Mr. Obstruction himself. Mr. Obstruction himself. They said, would you support Donald Trump if he were to win the nomination at the Republican convention for the race in 2024? And Mitch McConnell said, yes, absolutely. Which for anybody who is unaware is, is quite an alarming statement. Because Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump have had a go at it recently, especially at the impeachment trials. Now, Mitch McConnell voted to acquit Donald Trump because he believed that since he is no longer an office holder, um, to convict him is outside of Senate's jurisdiction and that it should um, implicitly that it should be handled in a, like private criminal courts so that he would be prosecuted as a uh, private citizen since he no longer holds office. But, so basically his whole thing was that, you know, this is out of our jurisdiction, but he said very explicitly that Donald Trump was in fact responsible uh, for like pragmatically, like technically and morally for the insurrection that occurred on January 6th. Like he said that no holds barred about his Republican constituent. And Donald Trump, in response, uh, published this letter, this like open letter, a very because um, he no longer has Twitter. Of course, it's it's a little bit more difficult for him to communicate. So he has to be more. He literally just posts. 
he just posted it on a wall somewhere and was like, it's like the same thing with a single tear running down his cheek. Well, isn't it very, like, um, 18th century American politics era to, like, publish an open letter about the politician that you feel has slighted you? Isn't that very James Monroe versus George Washington? Thomas Jefferson versus John Adams? Like, I think that the more Donald Trump is in the public eye, the more we descend back into, like... I'm just waiting for Donald Trump to pull a gun on somebody and challenge him to a duel. Honestly! He's gonna end up like Andrew Jackson. He's going to walk around um, and you're going to hear the rattle of the bullets inside of him. As it was said about. I honestly think Donald Trump is like, could be the reincarnation of Andrew Jackson. For many reasons. The similarities are striking. And I don't mean that in a good way. I think the average Republican conservative blowhard would hear that and think, yeah! I mean... Donald Trump is like Andrew Jackson's our guy, but I mean that in uh, when I say it, I mean it. In it's not a compliment. Most negative ways, yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen, yeah. I really wouldn't want to hear the rattle of the bullets in Donald Trump because that would mean he'd survive that many gunshots. <laughs> I feel like one would be good, right? And then maybe never hear it because he didn't again. <laughs> maybe never see him walking around anywhere in the world. <laughs> So listen. Maybe. I mean, I, I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm just saying like, when somebody hypothetically, goal, there's a chance that he could die, and we're not saying we wanted to have him, but there's a chance. I'm really interested in what's going to happen with that in 2024. I, I would be lying if I said I didn't have any trepidations. Um, I feel like our only uh, assurance against another political crisis in this country specifically in conjunction with donald trump is if he gets caught on this tax evasion thing which jerry i don't know if you think about that but um since he is a private citizen there have been a lot of there's a lot i think nancy pelosi do you know who that is i, I don't want to just drop you know nancy pelosi was, right she's the speaker of the house was nancy the pelosi she wasn't the one that drafted uh who, who was the one who drafted the uh impeachment papers on uh Biden. Was that Nancy Pelosi? No, 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 no. That was Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's a um, a House representative from Georgia, and she uh-huh. is very different from Nancy Pelosi. Because Nancy Pelosi's a Democrat, and she, so she's a lie. Um, anyway. My apologies. It's okay, Jerry. We have to live and learn. Um, uh, I, I was just like, I've heard that name from somewhere. And my God, I'm going to shoot my shot. <laughs> well, I appreciate the, the the attempt and the spirit. So Nancy Pelosi um, kind of created a. I, th- I heard that she set up a committee specifically for the purpose of like, uh, in, like uh, she said it was uh, similar to a post 9/11 situation where she set up this committee specifically purpose for investigating Donald Trump's legal indiscretions and one of the things that has kind of hit the headlines in this recent news cycle is that um, he, I don't know, I'm not a lawyer, I don't know how these things work, but Donald Trump's team did whatever they had to do to refute the utilization of his tax records in a recent litigation that is taking place in New York. Um, And the New York courthouse, or whoever is in charge of the situation, said, no, we're going to look at him. So, so Donald Trump lost on that. You know what I mean? Like he said, mm-hmm. my record shouldn't be used in this way. And New York said, no, we're going to use them. No, we're going to look. We are going to look. So that's a step backwards for the Donald. And 
we're all very interested in seeing where this litigation goes and if he gets finally caught for something and it happens to be tax evasion that's going to be very al capone of him al capone was actually trending on twitter because of all this um but i made that comparison months and months ago when the whole he only spent 750 dollars in the past 10 years on taxes came out like back in the middle of the year i was like oh he's gonna die of an STI in jail after like a sexually promiscuous person with like a whole history of shady financial indiscretions finally gets caught on tax evasion and ends up in jail that way. I was like, imagine if I said that and I wasn't even talking about Al Capone. Like imagine if I was talking about the president of the United States, like that's where we're at. So Listen, mm-hmm. Donald Trump and Al Capone succumbing to the same feat would just be like, I don't know. I don't know Poetic? how the, the timeline lines up here, but I think it could work. So Andrew Jackson died and got reincarnated into Al Capone. And then Al Capone died and got reincarnated into Donald Trump. And like every step along the way, the person just gets I, worse. I don't like that thought. I but don't want sense. a worse person in the next history books. I, yes, and I don't like it. I don't like thinking that. I don't want this soul to go into another body. It needs to rest. Well, (laughs) with any luck, it'll be, he's like reached the bottom of the barrel as far as you can reincarnate in human form. And the next form will be like a dung beetle or something. Or like a tree. An orange rotted (laughs) tree. That's the scale. It goes Andrew Jackson, Al Capone, Trump, dung beetle. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Basically. On a scale from Andrew Jackson to dung beetle. Uh, how much of a human are you? And I don't like that Andrew Jackson is at the top of that. I feel like um, that that's not quite right. I think it's more like, how much of a piece of shit are you? And then that can be gotcha. like a tier list that we set up to evaluate historical figures. Let's do a pre- let's do ranking the presidents, um, and the tier list will be Andrew Jackson as a precedent, uh, Al Capone, Donald Trump, Dung Beetle. <laughs> But then yeah. Andrew Jackson would have to be the dung beetle, <laughs> or would, or no, no. Andrew Jackson would be Andrew Jackson because that is that the worst. That's the worst one, you know. Because is it? Getting... No, because it gets know. worse every time they reincarnate. Oh, Jesus, it gets more pathetic, more pathetic every time it gets reincarnated. And there are some yeah. presidents that maybe weren't as morally deplorable as Andrew Jackson, but were in fact more pathetic because Andrew Jackson was deplorable. I don't know if I would call him pathetic though. Um, All right, so pathetic, it's like, but like, okay. So it's like A, B, C, D, how pathetic are the presidents? (laughs) A, B, the least pathetic, and D, B, the most pathetic. The D stands for Dung Beetle, and the A stands for Andrew (laughs) Jackson. Um, Remember how the intro in the beginning, I used to say something like, this podcast has just enough irreverence to make your patriotic uncle clutch his pearls. This is what I was talking about. If we do a tier list ranking the presidents based on how pathetic they all are, um, all I can say is the the conservative wing of America would wish death upon us if we had it. Freedom of speech? Freedom of speech? Yeah, freedom of speech, bitch. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying that they are worthy of our pity. They, They are pathetic. I'd say pretty Perhaps. much the pre- in presidential history, they're unilaterally bad. Um, I would maybe consider giving a little leeway to a couple of them. I think Ulysses S. Grant was an okay, I mean, not a very good president, but as a person, you know, he's 
Listen, I think maybe it was James Buchanan, the guy who died from eating cherries and drinking milk no, no, on a hot no, no. summer's day. That was Zachary Taylor. Zachary Taylor. Uh, yeah, I feel like I feel like that sets the precedent. You die from patheticness. Yeah, I'm sorry, think... but like. No, I think. Um, well, yeah, I agree. I think that's a pretty pathetic way to go. But I think that William Henry Harrison probably is, in terms of like ways of dying, especially in conjunction with being president. William Henry Harrison takes the cake. Thirty-two days in office, because he had to be an overachiever and give his inaugural speech for eight hours straight. In the rain. In the rain, without a coat. Yeah. Without a coat or an umbrella. Yep. The fuck. That's so right. that's pretty pathetic. I think he trumps Zachary Taylor. James K. Polk's death think... was a little bit pathetic, but James K. Polk did accomplish a lot. I mean, I hate him. I... He's the worst, but he did accomplish a lot while he was president. I think we have an idea for next week. I think we just <laughs> made one. Tune in next week to find out if we remember to do this idea. You guys, next week we're going to be all about setting out on um, a very, very turbulent journey to discover which president is, in fact, the most pathetic president in American history. Okay, I just looked at the current events list. Andrew Cuomo? Oh, goodness gracious. Um, the, The reason that caught my eye is because I had a former manager whose name was Andrew Camuso. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, why is my former manager in the current events? Oh, wait, I can't read. Why is my former manager trending on Twitter? Yeah, honestly. Um, yeah, Andrew Cuomo, that's actually one of the, that actually is quite current. Um, I think... That CNN just did a segment about it for the first time yesterday. Um, listen, this whole situation is tragic. Fucking Andrew Cuomo, one of the more uh, talked about United States governors, has been hitting the headlines because two things happened back to back. He one and one thing he got caught he he became controversial because there was some kind of expose about how he mishandled the coronavirus crisis by like funneling um, uh, patients in the hospital back into nursery homes and kind of uh, incubating the virus like inside of nursery homes and killing off old people. That's the story. I'm not, I haven't looked into it extensively. I don't know about the veracity to that statement. I like, I don't know extensively about what's going on with that, but that, I know that that's one of the reasons that he's controversial recently. And then like immediately afterwards, a second allegation came forward about him sexually harassing uh, one of his staff in the workplace. So it's kind of, hashtag me too thing was going on on Twitter yesterday. Um, what bothered me the most about the whole thing um, is that Republicans were, and I'm going to clarify this, like, give me a second here, everybody. <laughs> uh, Republicans were, like, using this event to get on Twitter and, like, toot their horns about how hypocritical the Democratic Party is because people are standing up for Andrew Cuomo or whatever, which I don't even know. And they're saying, like, left-leaning media outlets, specifically CNN, are not covering the situation. And that just shows that the whole democratic ideology about believing the victim and standing up for women and being feminist and like all that kind of stuff. And like the me too movement is null and void depending upon what your political affiliations are. And so, I mean, they're not using those fancy words because they're fucking stupid. They're just saying that like Democrats are hypocrites because of this allegation that came out about Andrew Cuomo. I've seen plenty of like Democrats stand standing up for the victim in the situation and saying that Andrew Cuomo should be investigated. And um, especially lefties on the internet who don't traditionally align with the establishment Democratic Party, of course, needless to say. So, anyway, 
the way that the the thing was politicized to condemn the Democratic Party at large was really irritating to me because these issues are not political. They're just human issues. Um, and I, as a fucking registered Democrat, of course, I did think that Andrew Cuomo should be investigated and that this allegation should be handled as seriously as any other allegation. And I, I'm sure enough, I'm sure I've heard that he is, in fact, being investigated. CNN did do a segment on it no. yesterday. I do not know what i didn't see the segment so i don't know how they treated the case cnn does have a history of um i mean they are unapologetically left-leaning as a news outlet and they do have a history of tailoring information and like omitting certain facts to because of an agendavized reporting style so i imagine it wasn't particularly um condemning of an of andrew cuomo but like i said i haven't seen it so i don't know um, but just it's just it's just it's there's little that's more frustrating than um, seeing Republicans rally around patting themselves on the back because of the failures I, I, of a Democratic I mean, official. Perhaps, perhaps killing the elderly and you know <laughs> sexual assault might be a little bit more frustrating. But well, I understand. No, I, I yeah, I, I don't like Andrew Cuomo. I mean, the more I hear about him, the more I dislike him. I think that maybe he should cease to hold office because of these controversies, especially, I mean, given that uh, I don't know how refutable they are. And if they, I mean, I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't like Andrew Cuomo. Yeah, I didn't, I wasn't, like, more I was, yeah, I wasn't insinuating that. Like, that's a, just a given <laughs> because there's some mm -hmm. talking points that supersede political biases. Indeed. Um, but yeah, you know what I meant. Go ahead, Jerry. Republicans just making it about, yeah, Republicans just making it about them. And like, spinning like, it in a way that's not even true. I'm not seeing this hypocrisy that they're seeing. Like, uh, the, I could just talk for a whole hour about it. Yeah. There's gotta be individuals so. from both sides. Like, nobody disagrees that politicians are corrupt and that these things happen and that it's horrible. You know what I mean? I only see this kind of negligence of like basic human ethics occurring at the behest of like people like Donald Trump who has 26 public rape allegations this isn't like what aboutism i'm just saying like there is hypocrisy here and I'm, anyway anyway jerry get me under control here winter what are we, what are we talking about winter <laughs> so smooth segue <laughs> we're in winter now and we actually we're almost out of winter and that's the beauty of it. Jerry and I sat here on Discord for like a whole half an hour. And we're like, what are we going to talk about this podcast? And Jerry was like, you know what's going on right now? Winter. We should have an episode about winter. And I said, oh, worm, I don't have any better ideas. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to talk I'm about it. I'm the ideas man for this week, everybody. Yeah, so for the next half hour or so, we're going to discuss the grandiose consequences the winter season has had on, on historical events. Uh, how, do you, how do you folks feel about winter? It's pretty cold. <laughs> it's pretty wet. Um, okay, uh. so winter can have some pretty harsh effects as we're currently seeing in Texas for a less contemporary lens. There's plenty of moments in history that have 
have represented certain historical vicissitudes specifically because of winter. Um, obviously, before we had certain contemporary resources, there were things, there were events rather like the Revolutionary War and the Civil War that made um, dealing with winter particularly difficult. Um, I remember reading about how in the Revolutionary War, there was a lot of like primary records that indicate that while it was, and, there, and to be clear, a lot of this happened in the Mid-Atlantic, pretty much all of it <laughs> happened in the Mid-Atlantic region of the United States or kind of more in the New England area. It gets very cold, extremely cold around here. Um, and the Revolutionary War soldiers had really limited resources because of, I mean, America wasn't even a nation at this point and didn't really have a unified financial resource to invest in military infrastructure. So sometimes they would have no shoes. They would have very little clothing. Um, and a lot of Revolutionary War soldiers actually died of like freezing and disease during the winter seasons. I mean, it was especially hard. Uh, same thing with the, the Civil War, dealing with the extremities of summer and winter could be very hard on the soldiers. Um, because the Civil War, like, uniform was a lot more uniform. The uniform was more uniform. Like, um, in the Revolutionary War, there was very little unity in the appearance of the soldiers. But in the Civil War, it was a little bit, especially on, in the Union side, there was, like, a specific set of clothes that was issued to the soldiers. And it was pretty much you would wear, like, some cotton long johns. And then the a cotton shirt, and you would have a wool sack coat or frock coat or whatever, depending on what branch or what, what position so, you were in. So it would be wool. as soon as as soon as that shirt and those long johns were wet, you were done. Well, and the wool made too, because, cotton. And the and wool is also a pain in the ass when it gets wet. Um, you would so the external elements of the uniform would all be wool. You'd have a wool coat and wool mm. pants. You would have like rawhide shoes. Oh. Wool yeah. gets really heavy when it gets wet, but it still retains heat fairly well. Not as well as when it's dry, obviously. But, like, wool is one of the things that, like, people who, like, go outdoors and stuff like that. Those people who go outside, no. But people <laughs> who go, like, hiking in winter and, like, climbing, they really like having wool socks, from what I've been told. Yeah, Because wool if is... they get wet, they keep you warm. It's a well-insulated and a hardy material, um, but in the summer, it's very burdensome and hot, and in the winter, it's oh, yeah. not warm enough. Um, so, you know, you, there's some soldiers that could have, like, great coats, and especially if you're in a higher position, if you were in a, a higher, like, a, a officer commission or something like that, a lot of those, like, higher-profile officers could get their clothes ordered and tailored specifically, so you could have great coats and, like, better resources, but there's the general, like, infantry of the private and corporal range d didn't have those resources or those that wealth, of course, so they would just have to wear their standard-issued, like, sack coats and stuff. And in the winter, um, having just that wasn't enough, and it would be miserable. And then in the summer... Uh, it would be entirely too hot, and you'd be running around carrying 10-pound rifles, and the rifle barrels get ridiculously... I don't know if, if people know what a... Typically, especially in the early Civil War, they would use Enfield, and then post-1863, they would use Springfield rifles, which are muzzle loaders, and the muzzle that is made out of steel, I think... Um, Get, just the muzzles get so fucking hot when you're shooting a lot, is all I'm trying to say. Like, they generally will burn your hands. Um, so just, like, imagine being 
in all of this wool and wool coats uh, and it's like 105 degrees outside in Virginia and you're trying to fight and shoot in that kind of oppressive heat and then I was in reenactments sometimes when people go down and they're like playing dead in the grass the tall grass is like a vent and it just traps all the heat and makes it worse like the the heat in the summer can be so oppressive and wearing wool clothes makes that especially difficult so goodness gracious extreme weather man it really yeah, honestly. like takes a toll it really, really bites. And you know what else bites? The Donner Party. Oh, Jesus Christ, Jimmy. <laughs> Amazing. You get like, the segment honor. award the Segway Award this week. Uh yeah. Winter the winter in the Oregon Trail did not mix well. Uh yeah. Tell us more, Jerry. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, the Oregon Trail uh was, you know, people going from East to West, cultivate new lands, you know, gold rush, all that fun jazz. Well, one winter, this group of individuals uh, got caught in a blizzard, I believe. I can look up the exact details to make sure I'm educating everybody correctly. Um, I'm pretty sure it was 1846 or 1847. The Donner Party was... You can go ahead and keep looking it up, Jerry, just so that we get as much information yeah. as possible. But, uh, yeah, it was a group of uh, pioneers who... I don't know if this is specifically what they were doing, but back in the era of America, um, like in the antebellum period and post-Civil War II, there, we were, like, expanding west kind of rapidly. Um, and one of the things that, like cause people to migrate west a lot was frontiering which is like basically the american government was like we sure do have a lot of land all of a sudden and like nobody's over there in terms of americans i mean obviously there were indigenous people and that's a whole other conversation but we wanted to populate the kind of western frontier um and it was very it's, it's nobody can relate to that now because the entire like half of this continent is pretty saturated with people but uh, imagine having um a bajillion square acres of land and not knowing what to do with it so the government would just be like there is ownable land out there and the first person that gets there gets to have it it can be yours but you need to get there first and it was called frontiering basically so a lot of people were migrating left trying to settle all that territory and it was kind of like the races because you would it was first come first serve basically so the Donner Party was using the Oregon Trail to migrate left. As I assume that they're, they're pioneers. It was something to that frontiering effect. Um, and they were following other families who were also on the Oregon Trail at the time. And yeah, it was in the, the Sierra Nevada region, right? Yeah, they were in the Sierra Nevada region. They got caught in a bunch of snow after like a series of mishaps. And basically they were stuck up there in the mountains for like four months extra than what they had planned. Yeah. So they didn't have enough food and like people were getting sick out in the cold. So, you know, they they were all sitting there and they were like, well, I'm hungry and he's not using his meat. Oh, Jesus. So it'd be a shame to let him just sit there, you know? Yeah, uh, I'm sure that's exactly they went how it to town. They went to, they, they went to Chowtown and then people showed up to save them and were like, huh, what okay. happened here? Okay. Um, <laughs> the Donner Party is a very nuanced event in history it's popularly known as an example of cannibalism so that if anybody doesn't have isn't equipped with that prior knowledge i don't know if you even know what we're talking about but um there is Donner some Party dispute 
listen, there's some dispute on if that actually happened. Some people say that there was no cannibalism that took place. If there had been cannibalism, uh, reports indicate that they had used the bodies of the party members that had already died um, from starvation or cold and would feed the victuals from the dead human body only to the children um, and try to kind of not let them in on what was going on. Um, so it's like, I think a lot of people in talking about the Donner Party try to be as charitable as possible to the situation. Not that, uh, I want to make myself very clear here. Um, cannibalism is disgusting. Uh, I'm not trying to suggest in any way that it is anything other than disgusting. And, um, I'm the Donner Party. I'm, um, extremely it's regrettable <laughs> the state in which they existed where they had to come to even considering participating in this but i am not one of these jerry have you heard that there are like ethical cannibals on the internet there's like ethical cannibals there's like yeah there's like a a group of people on the internet that like rationalize cannibalism and are like i'm gonna have human meat someday that's gonna be a thing that i do and, and it's gonna be okay and it's gonna be worthy in the eyes of god uh listen i don't know i don't know i just want to make it clear that neither of us are that <laughs> yeah uh yeah no i'm all for using every part of the animal but no <laughs> uh but yeah donner party eating people According to Wikipedia, um, of the 87 members of the party, 48 survived the ordeal. So, a little bit more than half, right? Let me, yeah, because, no, yeah, yes, thank you. Something, a little bit more than half came out on the other end. 87 people, that's a yeah. lot. Sometimes when I picture the Dodger yeah, they... party, I just picture, like, a little cluster of, like, a, like 13 distant cousins, but no, it was a lot of people. I'm pretty sure, like, a lot of the caravans that, like, went from right to left, east to west, uh, traveled in pretty big groups. Like, yeah, they it did. was safer that way, you know. You could... It was safer. Safer to travel in numbers and all that jazz. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, um... The... I don't know what else. Winter's in the past. Say about the daughter party. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm a little bit at a loss. Well, I was gonna continue on the Donner party a little bit because it okay, kind yeah. of ties into another part of American culture around cannibalism. The Wendigo. I don't know if you're familiar <laughs> with this. Oh, that's interesting. Urban no, I know. Legend. Um, the Wendigo I heard about because wasn't that the thing in the Blair Witch Project? Wasn't it? The Appalachian Trail, there's like the Windigos in the woods. It might have been. Okay, I'm pretty it sure the Blair Witch Project, like, there were implications that the monster in that movie was the Windigo. And also there was, I, listen, don't fucking judge me, but back in 2014, about, so I was really into Supernatural. And I will hold to this day, Jerry, I think I've said this to you, um, I know Supernatural gets a lot of hate. I think, unironically, I really do genuinely think the first five seasons are actually legitimately good. 
like good storytelling, good television. Everything after that, I pretend doesn't exist. I think it, Listen, as, it plummeted. But as soon as they start. Good. Spoiler alert for Supernatural now that it's finished, and if anybody cares about that, I suggest you skip ahead for, like, a minute, maybe. I don't know, it's hard to tell. Nobody cares about spoilers for Supernatural. Uh, you've been warned. As soon as they start trying to find God, it gets real weird and bad, and I stop watching. That's every what happens time. to individual people, too. As soon as they start trying to find God, things get weird and bad. Yeah. Uh, but The Wendigo, I think, is still one of my favorite episodes from Supernatural, too. But it, it's interesting, there's a, god, I could be mistaken, but there's like a video game out there, and I can never remember what the name of the game is. What is it? Uh, I don't know. There's a, there's uh, a game gonna, called um, Kona. There's a game called Kona, I think, about the Wendigo. Or it's like implicitly about the Wendigo. It's uh, Until Dawn is the game I'm oh. thinking of. I don't know But I'm that. pretty sure like part of the game in that they discuss the Donner Party and how, like, that's how oh. figures came to be in the game. Oh, never like, mind. I was... I, yeah, because isn't the whole thing about a Wendigo that it's just a badly corrupted human and it starts to happen when you eat other humans? Is that the myth? <laughs> yeah, uh, you start... If you eat human flesh, like, you start to gain a craving for it, and that's how you start, like... Th that... It's something with the spirit of it, I think. Oh, Colot! But that was, you start okay. need to eat it, and like you're always hungry no matter what, no matter how much you eat. There was another game that I thought of that's an indie game that, so Kona and Until Dawn, I guess, are about the, the Wendigo. It's, I mean, it's a very popular thing in like uh, the horror genre of like pop culture. There's another indie game that I was like, oh, this is about the Wendigo. It's about like the Donner Party or whatever called um, Colot, but it, I, I just looked it up. It is not about the Donner Party. It's about the Dietlov Pass, which is also extremely weird. And I heard that that mystery got solved recently. Jerry, do you know about that? The Dietlov Pass incident? No. Sorry if I'm uh, mispronouncing it. It's a you know it's one of those one of those weird Russian words. Actually, I'm gonna look it up. How do you pronounce Jerry? Soft time. I, I gotta. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking at a funny comic right now of the Wendigo from Until Dawn. It works a little bit different in that than it does in like lore that you'll find about it. Like, if you look up the urban legend in that game, uh, it's. If you get yep, bit, yep. if you eat people, first of all, you can turn what? into a Wendigo. But apparently, if you get bit by a Wendigo, you start turn into one too, like zombies. And yep, the comic yep. is like, so wait, if a person gets bit by a Wendigo, do okay, they turn into another right. Wendigo? And so, I'm just gonna, no. I'm just gonna keep saying Dyflov. Um, I don't know if that's how it's actually pronounced. But okay, listen, I don't know much about. I don't know much about. I'm not a Dietlov Pass scholar, but basically, Jerry. So this thing happened where uh, we were going to talk about Everest too, and this is. Similar, but way more sinister and weird. So a group of, like, mountain climbers or something were ascending some kind of mountain. They ended up in an area of this mountain range called the Dietlov Pass. And what had happened was this little group of climbers, their bodies were all found after they had been, like, reported missing for a while. And the sight of their, the, I don't know, what the, the sight of their bodies was so weird and confounding because like the investigation revealed that the tent that they had been using had been ripped open from the inside out like they had ripped their way out of the tent like one of the people their tongues was missing and they had really weird like um battery 
injuries like somebody's skull was caved in or something like very inexplicable injuries and there was like high like radiation that was found at the site so there was just like and their clothes were ripped off and it looked like the way i don't know how like forensics discerns this but like it looked as if their clothes had been ripped off by them like they had done it themselves instead of like an animal doing it and if it had been an animal you'd think that they would be more visibly desecrated but they were mostly whole except for like the person's tongue is like it was just just the point is the way it looked it was so inexplicable and strange and it like went down as like one of the strangest unsolved mysteries like in history and everybody was like what happened at the Dyesloff Pass and nobody survived so nobody could talk about what had happened a lot of people thought aliens had done something like you know people will come up with the wackest theories um I heard it got solved recently literally by a scene in Frozen hear me out supposedly in the movie Frozen the much beloved Disney princess movie there's like an avalanche scene or something. I haven't seen it in many years, so I don't freaking remember. But there's like an avalanche scene or something. And, and somebody that is in some kind of legal circle that had something to do with the investigation of the Dietzloff Pass incident called up one of the staff that had worked on Frozen and said, I want to talk to you about this scene. And they talked about how, you know how Disney animators have to do research before they go about like actually uh, manifesting the film because they want to get everything, you know, <laughs> accurate and, and whatever um so the animator or the modeler or whoever it was that had worked on the film told this researcher like yeah there's like this avalanche that we animated based on this natural phenomenon or whatever and then the the uh, the expert the individual who was doing the research was like realized that the conditions of this avalanche that had been portrayed in frozen were conducive to explaining all of the mysteries of the Dyeslav Pass incident. And so, like, all these years later, it's been pretty much determined that um, it was an avalanche that killed the people and that Frozen, the movie Frozen, helped the researchers arrive at this conclusion. Yes, Jerry. I have several questions. <laughs> Me too. Go ahead. Why was Why was the tent ripped open from the inside? Where did the tongue go? Why did only one person have blood force trauma to the skull? Why were they ripping their clothes off? All right. Excuse let me, me? All right, let me. That was one promiscuous been, avalanche. I should have been more prepared. So let's go on nationalgeographic.com. I'm going to see if I can quickly scrub together the story uh, here. I'm cause... sorry, but if an avalanche starts ripping my clothes off, in such a way that it looks like it's me, I'm going to have so many questions for that avalanche. Okay. If I still have my tongue, if it didn't already take that, you know. Maybe it froze off. Maybe a buzzard came down and took it. One of those famous dice-long paths. Okay, here we go. A 62-year-old adventure mystery that has prompted conspiracy theories around Soviet military experiments, yetis, and even extraterrestrial contact may have its best, most sensible explanation yet, one found in a series of avalanche simulations based in part on car crash experiments and animation used in the movie Frozen. In an article published today in the journal Communications, Earth and Environment, researchers present data pointing to the likelihood that a bizarrely small, delayed avalanche may have been responsible for the gruesome injuries and deaths of nine experienced hikers who never returned from a planned 200-mile adventure in Russia's Ural Mountains in the winter of 1959. In what has become known 
as the Dyatlov Pass incident, ten members of the Urals Polytechnic Institute in, oh, holy shit, Yekaterinburg, Yekaterinburg, nine students and one sports instructor who fought in World War um, one student with joint pain turned back. But the rest, led by 23-year-old engineering student Igor Dyatlov, continued on. According to camera film and personal diaries later found on the scene by investiga investigators, which, by the way, which is what the game co-op with the di diary entries and stuff, the team made a camp on February 1st, da-da-da-da-da. Um, the nine, seven men and two women, were never heard from again. When a search team arrived at the Kolots uh, a few weeks later, the expedition tent was found just barely sticking out of the snow, and it appeared to have been cut open from the inside. The next day, the first of the bodies was found near a cedar tree. Over the next few months, as the snow thawed, search, search teams gradually uncovered more spine-chilling sites. All nine of the team members' bodies were scattered around the mountain slope, some in baffling states of undress. Some of their skulls and chests had been smashed open. Others had eye missing eyes missing and one lacked a tongue each body was a piece in a grim puzzle but none of the pieces seemed to fit together a criminal investigation at the time blamed their deaths on an unknown natural force quote-unquote and the soviet bureaucracy kept the case quiet the lack of detail about the shocking event an apparent massacre that transpired in a deeply secretive state gave rise to dozens of long-lived conspiracy theories from clandestine military tests to yeti attacks let me see if i can skip to to okay to answer to no, no, no. and then trying to find this is a long article i can't read the whole thing um i'm getting there you got this the researchers I computer models that. demonstrated that a 16 foot long block of hefty snow could in this unique fashion in this unique situation handily break the ribs and skulls of people sleeping on a rigid bed i think that the article is saying like they combined like the find the way like certain car crashes and blunt force can break bones can like could be simulated similarly by like packed snow coming at you from a certain distance at a certain speed and that could be how the chests were and the skulls were smashed up um he says the team simulations have recre recreated the deadly night with newfound fidelity. They've shown that empirically and their equations seem perfectly robust. It's a bit surprising that a small avalanche could cause such violent injuries. A geohazard expert at Durham University, he suspects the block of snow would have needed to be incredibly stiff and moving at a high speed to accomplish this. Um... Somebody else, some other expert in this article says, I'm absolutely convinced that the tragedy was the result of wind and snow deposition and the fact that they pitched camp in the lee of a ridge. Um, I've made this mistake in my mountaineering career more than once. So, fellas, if you're ever hiking, uh, don't ever pitch your tent in the lee of a ridge. Um, so there's this other addendum to the article that says, what happened after the avalanche is speculation, but the current thinking is that the team cut themselves out of the smothered tent, fleeing in a panic towards temporary shelter in the tree line mile or, or so down slope. Three of them were severely injured, but everyone was found outside of the tent, so it's likely that the more able-bodied survivors dragged the injured out of their smothered shelter in an attempt to rescue them. Most of the nine who perished on Kolat's sacral died of hypothermia while others may have succumbed to their injuries. I want to know about the tongue. Why was one of them missing a tongue? Why were they missing eyes? And eyes. I mean, you're right. Maybe it had been buzzards. I don't know what the father is were in buried that under, If they were buried under snow? No, like, but they the, the tent, like, the avalanche caused the tent to be mostly 
smothered by the snow and they dug out and like ripped their way out of the tent to like escape that i think that's the explanation and they so they unsubmerged themselves from the snow and then were trying to get to safety and like dragging their friends to safety and that's why their bodies were like scattered around in random places um and this okay i want to know about the radiation too some states of undress some were found in remains puzzling um i think i've heard some people say the undressing could have been because when you reach a certain stage of hypothermia you actually feel very hot like your mm-hmm. homeostasis goes all out of whack and maybe because of that they removed their clothes or it could have been that like and i'm just spitballing here their clothes were wet and i've heard in survival situations if you're in a freezing environment and your clothes are wet the best thing to do is to remove the clothes because it'll just mm-hmm. add hypothermia to be wearing wet clothes um so okay some reports do note back to the article here as do some reports note that the bodies had traces of radioactivity which may be a result of thorium present in camping lanterns okay the missing eyes and tongue of some victims may have simply been a result of scavenging animals pecking at the dead but that too remains an open question okay so it sounds like we're not actually 100 percent sure on, on why the those specific body parts were missing anyway yeah isn't I think we're that, about out of time. Isn't that a strange thing? Isn't it weird? It sure is. I didn't even I, get to talk listen, about Chris. I'm a sad. Maybe maybe there was actually eleven of them, you know, and one of them still unfound. Was, that was the Wendigo. That one. The one that nobody talked about, that wasn't mentioned in any of the diaries, and that no, had no family and nobody knew. <laughs> and Red was yeah. just there. Perfect candidate for cannibalism. Alright, I don't know. This episode for cannibal, is... not for eating. <laughs> this episode's wild. What's the, what's the teachable moment here? If you're ever stuck in a winter storm, it's better to just die. In a godly way. Yeah, if you are camping in the lee of a ridge, and you get stuck in an avalanche, just die there so people don't think aliens did it. Don't ever camp in the lee of a ridge to begin with. Don't ever That's the teachable moment. All of you hikers out there, never pitch your tent in the lee of a ridge. Otherwise, otherwise you'll be the dung beetle of pathetic. You could end up being the next... Never mind. I was going to say you could end up being the next Donald Trump as as an indication of what you don't want, but I feel like some people would want that, so... I, th- I thought you were going to say you could be the next Donner Party, but I was about to be very upset. I was well, like, I don't think be. that could happen. And on well, that note... <laughs> Alright. Yeah. I'll talk about every later. <laughs> There's not enough yeah. time. We got stuck on the Dives Law Pass incident and the, the Wendigo. Listen, and... I... Like, once a year that incident gets brought up and like i always forget it exists like a, a week after i talk about it and then somebody brings up like oh yeah you all should play but, kona it's a very good indie game and if i remember the wendigo has something to do with it kolot is another like kind of survival horror game and like it wasn't my favorite but it was still pretty good. I feel like people should play that. I haven't played Until Dawn, but it looks interesting. Is it an indie game? It's like a No, it's a triple A game. It's uh, a well, It's like an interactive then. storytelling kind of game. 
It's like not super gameplay oriented. It's more of a story. Oh, like um, uh, yeah. I I do not think you broke your knee, Aime. I don't think you broke your knee on a bike when you were thirteen on a biking path. I've never even broken a bone. No, I, I mean I did. There was one time yeah. that I went around a corner too fast and I like aggressively skinned my knee and it was bleeding a lot. Um, but no, I never. Broke. That'd be crazy. I, I came close to broken, breaking my knee once. I accidentally... You, you know that little sign that says, Mind the gap as you get off of a train? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm guessing you I, did I not the mind the gap. I was who didn't when I was 12. And the only reason I didn't fall, like, 25 feet to the ground underneath the elevated platform... It's actually the train station, like, right near your house. You know how it's, like, oh. pretty high up? Yeah. Uh... Well, the only reason I didn't fall to there is because all of my weight got stopped on my knee right oh, on God. that concrete platform. That sounds painful. Uh, but yeah, it is oh, now God, your turn. Me too. What was you, what was you was, thinking again? I threw a package at an elderly oh, yeah, woman. An elderly lady. Uh, <laughs> yes, you did that. <laughs> That's true, I did. <laughs> uh, not aggressively. Uh, she's a driver at work. And uh, I was working in a very stressful environment, and she asked if I had a package for her truck as we were finishing up, and I said, yeah, and kind of, like, frisbeed it, and she caught it. Y'all, <laughs> you better not say which company that you work for so that people don't report them to the BBB for mishandling packages. It was a frisbee, actually, that I threw. An I actual imagine. frisbee it, in a, an actual It was package. perfectly frisbee-shaped. It just felt like a frisbee. It just had the energy of a frisbee. So it's okay that Jerry yeah. frisbeed it. Oh, we never even... This is, sorry, this is completely unrelated, but we never even mentioned JT's absence this week. We killed him. Completely forgot about JT. Um, JT... No, JT's dead. We killed JT. Unless we find a way to resurrect JT, he will not be participating in this podcast until further notice. No drama, no tease. Just... Uh, got a lot to yeah. do in the afterlife. Um, he may be JT, returning. But we don't know. J- JT's on that afterlife grind. Perhaps we will find a way. Perhaps yeah. we'll find the Necronomicon in a future <laughs> podcast. You'll have to stay tuned and find out. See if we're necromancers. Yeah, we're working on getting um, a third person to tap in for JT in the meantime uh, until until they come back. So, okay, on that Perhaps note. Um, powerful necromancer. Perhaps. Um, tune in next week for more nonsense. We appreciate your listenership. My name is Aime, and I I'm Jerry. Love you. Bye. Uh, uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs>